0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. Yesterday, it felt a little bit like spring, am I right? That was really amazing. So anyway... Um, we are in a series called Family Ever After. Today is part three, and what we're trying to do is really talk about the dynamics of family, and that's not just the immediate family as in uh, a mom, a dad, or kids, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's including extended family, and uh, it's been a good series so far. We're two, two uh, in. Today is part three. Ryan did a great job last week of talking about marriage, and if you missed that, I would encourage you to go on. You can go on iTunes. You can go on the Grove Church page, and you can watch or you can listen. Um, uh, Or you can watch and listen, so anyway, just kidding. But um, today is part three, we're talking about princes, princesses, And priorities. How many of you guys know that being around kids is an adventure? Just raise your hands if you're well aware. Yeah, and obviously, we're not just talking about your kids, your children, but being around kids is an adventure, Um, whether you're a parent, teacher, um, an auntie, a grandpa, a grandma, whatever. Um, I remember, of course, these are my own examples, I guess, but um, when Jack was two years old, uh, we lived in Maple Valley, and there was a hill there that our driveway was kind of on a hill, and we were doing something in the driveway, and and, um, <coughs> Emerson's bicycle was kind of along the back edge of it, and he climbed up on it at two years old and accidentally started rolling down the hill, and you're like, oh my gosh, and uh, amazingly, he got going pretty fast, managed to fall, and uh, no concussion, no major injury. It was kind of a miracle, really, and uh, so that happened. I remember Hudson, at one years old, we were having, as we do as a family here and there, we have dance parties, and Hudson was, wasn't even one years old yet. He was almost one. We're having a dance party, and um, this was on me, but I went to hand him to one of his sisters, and uh, we didn't quite make the handoff, and he fell, and um, uh, he limped around for a couple of days till we took him to the hospital. He had a broken leg, so that was awesome. Um, yes, I am a bad parent, so I, that's why I'm talking today, but uh, that happened. Um, uh, Jack, of course, some of you guys were aware of this, on Christmas Eve here at the church, after all of the services, he comes running up to me, actually somebody brought him to me, and he's like, ow, dad, it hurts, it hurts, and his arm, instead of going like this, went like this, and it was like really broken, and uh, so we had to take him to the, the Everett Clinic over here and, and get him fixed up and stuff, but he broke his arm, and now he just got his cast off and is just barely ready for baseball season, which was good. And then, of course, um, this Stella, a few weeks after that, into January, so just to Couple of months ago, um, after basketball practice, I'm usually at all the basketball practices for her. But Heather was sick, and so I dropped her off, went and took Heather to the clinic, checked out how, how things were going, whatever. Went back to pick up Stella, and she had a really rough basketball practice that day. She got hit in the face with the ball, she got hit in the head with the ball, and she jammed her finger. So at the end of practice, she comes to me, and she's like, "Dad, my finger!" And she shows me, and I look at her finger. Right, I'm looking at her finger, going, "Babe, it looks totally fine. It's no big deal." So then she gets home and tells her mom what's going on, and I don't remember where I went and. I think it was that day or maybe it was the next day they took her to the doctor and she had broken her finger. Now here's the deal though. When she showed me, I looked at this finger and it was this finger that was broken because I'm a good father, okay? So anyway. Parenting is an adventure. Of course, Emerson now has her driver's permit, so there's plenty of stories right now about how that's going, but she's doing a great job. And then uh, the other adventure that actually just came up yesterday was some of us in this room were at a wedding. One of our staff members, Evan, got married to Ashley yesterday afternoon, evening. It was a great wedding, um, but my favorite part was the fact that Ryan Lawfer's son, um, was the ring bearer one of the ring bearers two ring bearers ring bearer and he's standing up on stage and he's got his hand in his pocket except that he managed to make his hand go through his pocket and out the top of his pants (laughs) at the moment where they're giving the presentation of the bride and groom and everyone's ready to clap and we're all instead of looking like this we're all going like that and I got a great picture that you might come on And so what's awesome is I happen to know that Ryan and Adrian got this on video, and if you see the whole thing, after this moment, he tries to get his hand out of his pocket and he couldn't get it out. The whole way down the aisle at the end of the wedding, he's like trying to pull his hand out of his pocket. Like, it was hilarious. So anyway... Um, These are moments where, and I would imagine we could be here all day talking about our stories of raising kids or or being around kids and what happens, Um, but more important than the crazy or the painful, the days that you'll never forget is the fact that being around kids requires constant attention. And I'm not just talking about paying attention that they don't get hurt or whatever. I'm talking about the fact that we need to be looking at who are the kids around us becoming. Now, notice that I'm being careful about not just saying who our kids are becoming. And that's huge. That's important. And that's, as a parent, our primary responsibility. But being aware as, as grandparents or being aware as aunts or being aware of uh, neighborhood kids and then kind of who they are and what that's about or, or as a teacher, as I said, who are they becoming? how are they wired? Do they all require the same parenting styles? Do they all require the same discipline? How am I parenting? What are my weaknesses as a parent? What are my strengths as a parent? What do I do about my strengths and weaknesses? And of course, the question of questions, will they grow up to love cats, which is a big deal. So anyway, um, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Proverbs chapter 22, and what I'm going to do today is I've got a few verses that we're going to land on, we're going to walk through today, um, and I've got four pages of notes. I typically have three, so you're in it for the long haul today. You're going to be here for three services, um, and we'll just keep packing out People just keep coming, and we'll just, you no. Know, um, Proverbs 22, verse 6, in the, in the NIV, New International Version, says this, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And Cynthia Tobias years ago um, talked about this verse and walked through this verse. And this is one of those verses that, that a lot of parents over the years have memorized and, and, and kind of even quoted and even challenged the Lord with, like, Lord, the Bible says, and, and here's the deal and Cynthia Tobias says this, when you look at this idea of the way they should go, she says we've got to identify their natural curves and bends, that like I, I mentioned earlier, it's not about parenting every kid the same, how many of you guys know there is a distinct difference between boys and girls, okay, and even on top of that, we have two of each, my wife and I have two boys and two girls, and even they are very different even from each other, so Jack and Hudson are very different as boys, just like Stella and Emerson are very different as girls, and so this idea, of starting a child off in the way they should go. Cynthia Tobias says, as you look at this verse, it really means identifying how are they wired? How do they process information? What are the things that they're good at? And how do I play towards those things specifically? And it says, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. I love the message version. I'm always looking at different versions and how they work on wording. But the message says this, point your kids in the right direction And when they're old, they won't be lost. And it makes me think of this. That for many of us, especially when it comes to a Christ-centered home, as we're talking about in this series, that, that for me, I want to raise my kids to know what it looks like to have a Christ-centered home so that whatever happens in their teen years and in their 20s or kind of whatever, that at some point they will remember the value of a Christ-centered home. As we see very often, different individuals that they're part of church as a kid maybe, or, or you know, that their family was a part of church, they were part of the youth ministry in a church or whatever, and they, they have certain years where you could say they sowed wild oats or whatever. But But what I love is oftentimes when there is a foundation, there's a point where sometimes in their 20s, sometimes 30s, sometimes later than that, that they come back to, you know what, faith really ought to matter. I remember how faith mattered in my home growing up, and I want that to matter to me and to the children now I'm raising. And so I want to give you a few points here that that matter in in the large scale when it comes to um, raising the kids around us. The first thing is this, be on the same team. And yes, as parents in particular, this matters, but, but being on the same team is a big deal. How many of you, when you were a kid, pitted your mom against your dad? Okay. I know I'd, I played the thing like, if mom says no, go ask dad. If dad says no, go ask mom, but make sure they hadn't talked to each other. Because if one says no, maybe there's a slight chance the other will say yes. And I remember that happening When I was a kid growing up, but what it takes is communication. And if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, and number one is be on the same team. You need to be aware of this. A sub bullet under number one is this requires ongoing communication. This requires your ability to to talk with with whoever is helping raise your child. If if it's a dad, or or maybe as a as a single parent, it's the other you know the, the the other parent that maybe lives somewhere else, but it still requires communication. One of the detriments of myself growing up is when my dad left the home, I was 12 years old, my parents never got along. So after they separated and got divorced, they didn't talk a whole lot about what it meant to, to raise us or, or what it meant for me in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, as a senior in high school, because they didn't like each other. So even for, I would say this, even for parents that maybe you've got that divorce situation, there's visitation and stuff like that, it still requires communication between you and the other parent. And some of this is very basic, but some of you need to hear it and go, I need to let my pride down. And instead of arguing with my ex all the time and, you know, dropping them off somewhere and we never talk and here, have the kid and I'll get them back in two days. It still requires communication. And obviously for those parents that are married It's sometimes so hard in the busyness of life to stop and talk about how are we doing, how are our kids doing, what do we need to do about this situation, how do we handle that circumstance, what do we, you know, discuss because this came up in a conversation about them in junior high or them in high school, all of that requires communication and especially as guys, we don't love communication sometimes, we go, we're going to talk about it later on, oh great, that'll happen at 11 at night and go all night long. Anyway. (laughs) Talking about your marriage, not mine. So anyway, being on the same team. The second thing is this. Do the work and work yourself out of a job. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me just say this. I say this even to our team on staff here. Our job is to work ourselves out of a job, okay, as a pastor. Now, bring it back to the family, and I believe the same is true for parenting. Now, never fully but our job is to lay the groundwork in, in, in parenting and raising kids so that at later on, as time goes on, it doesn't require so much energy and attention because you neglected what you were supposed to do early on in the conversation. Pay the price now to enjoy the fruit later. Now, some examples of that, and, and maybe some of these sound a little bit unfair. My wife and I, Heather and I, chose years ago that when we were going to have kids, and so 16, 17 years ago, We decided that as much as we could, that Heather would be able to stay home with our kids. Now, that was a decision we made, but it also meant there are certain sacrifices that we have to make all along the way to make sure that can work. I joked a couple weeks ago about the camper boat conversation. We own neither one, okay? We have vehicles that we've had our armada for 12 years now. It's been paid off for a lot of years, but as long as that sucker keeps running, I'm good to go. If it's limping along, I'm still good to go. It gets me to point A to point B, I'm good to go because we're in a world where we don't wanna have to have a car payment as much as we can help it. Would I love to have Bluetooth? Would I love to have DVD player? Would I love to have all the amenities? Sure I would, just like any of us would. But we had to make a decision years ago that what are we gonna do as it comes to raising our kids and what we can afford. For some people, and I wanna challenge this because here's the thing: I know there's a lot of people that go, that's not an option for us. And, and on one hand, let me just say this. On one hand, I get that. It may not be an option for you. And, and that's okay if it's not an option. But I would still challenge you to process for, for, for any of us, can you scale back? Is it possible to scale back? I was talking to a friend the other day about taking a, a new job and, and what it would look like and the pay. And, and it's kind of a step back financially. And I said, here's the deal. I would challenge you to if it means that you have to take a second job right now and, and, and not be doing what you're doing, getting paid, what you're getting paid, then I would say don't do it because it's going to require so much energy for you to work two jobs in this season with kids that that's not going to pay off for your children in the long run. And I said this, if it means you've got to live in a small apartment and, and, and it's inexpensive to live there, then live there. Because that's what it takes to scale back so that you can spend time with your children, which, by the way, do you know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. It's giving them that attention. And so it, it can be a choice. It, it, it means, like I said, an older car, uh, uh, not so expensive or, or not so trendy clothing. I know that I fell off the fashion train a long time ago. I got guys around the staff that harass me about it all the time. I don't wear skinny jeans. My jeans don't have rips in them. Apparently that's the cool thing. Well, guess what? I've had these jeans a few years and I guess I'm good with it for now, okay? Just life. Anyway, we will keep going. Is it possible for you to scale back So that you could possibly not have to force the income in your family so that you can spend time with the kids that you need to raise. And those are conversations that that need to be had and need to be looked at. Another one is this, and and this one is definitely more specific towards, uh, towards my wife, but saying no to opportunities today so that she can have opportunities in the future. Now, right now, this is a conversation we had years ago, and we continue to have. Um, she, she sang a couple of weeks ago on the worship team, and there were people in the church, because she hasn't sung forever, Well, like, I didn't even know you could sing. And that's not to brag on my wife, but it's to say we had to make a decision years ago that she maybe couldn't be so involved in, in, in doing stuff in the church because we had four kids that specifically need attention, and we had been homeschooling four of our kids for a few years there which takes an unbelievable amount of time when you got four different grades at home and all the books and all the checklists he's trying to live off of, but it was a decision. It it, it takes me back to um, Nehemiah 6.3. I love this verse, and and it's a little different contextually, but I want you to hear it. Um, It says this, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should I stop the work while I leave and go down to you? When we say no to less important things, we're saying yes to what really matters, and when we live by mottos like that, we help our kids embrace it too. Here's a cheesy example personally. Every year, we have a church softball team or two, and, and every year, someone comes to me and goes, hey, you should play on the softball team. Now, first of all, I don't want to make everyone else look bad, so I just say no, okay? But, just kidding. Um, but, but seriously, I would love to play. It'd be fun, but, but you know what? Because my kids play sports and because Jack in particular has baseball coming up, that's where my attention goes right now. Would I would I love to play on the softball team? Absolutely be a great boy. It'd be fun. But you know what? i got to make a decision to say no to that because I want to make sure that I can focus on him being able to play baseball and, and have a dad that's going to practice with him and, and hit the ball around and, and, and shag grounders and all that stuff. That's a decision I have to make. It goes back to what we say as a culture, as a church, we give up things we love for things we love even even more. And that's a question for you as well as for me. What kind of things do you need to say no to now that later on you can say yes to? Later on, in a different season, you can say yes to, but right now, wisdom is, the answer is no. I can't do that. Let me say this. Um, another thing, talking about doing the work and working yourself out of a job, the patience to talk rather than yell, rant, and slam the door. Okay? As parents, and, and, and this this. Uh, to have a conversation is not always easy. To process how your kids are doing and what's going on is, is very difficult. And, and especially, you know, with a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and 7-year-old, there are all kinds of conversations that we have to have. And obviously they're different conversations based on age. But there are times where you feel so frustrated about how something goes that you just throw up some rant out there, you say a bunch of sentences and walk away. When when we need to be investing the time to process conversations to help our kids understand sometimes the why behind the what. The patience to talk rather than yell, rant, and slam a door. And finally, and this is a big one for me, I probably won't get through these today, which we'll get through some more next week. Um, Time to help your kids get a better story. And I don't even just mean your kids, but here's something I'm deeply convinced of. In the world that we live in, our children need a better story. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's real easy in the world we live in for kids to, to go to school, to go through all they go through at school, to go home, to get on their phone, to play video games, to watch Netflix and binge watch whatever shows they're watching and, and the evening kind of goes by and you grab a quick meal and, and, and you know maybe they do some homework, maybe they skip it, whatever goes on. They go to bed, they get up and do it again all through the school year. And when I say our kids need a better story, what I really believe that our generation needs and I don't teenagers and kids is is parents that are willing to help them see bigger than the world right in front of them to realize that when we talk about partnering with the Marysville food bank that what if you took your family down there and decided to sign up for an hour a week and go hey we're just going to hand out groceries to families that need them what if you were to partner with the Everett Gospel Mission and we, by the way there's partnerships all over our community the Everett Gospel Mission is another one Daniel Markham's over there and we met him, got to know him a little bit and it's awesome in the work that he's doing but what if you helped your kids see what individuals have to go through when life gets pretty tough and they 've got to be in a mission, and we 're trying to work them through you know, what it means to serve and help and love others when we do things like i Heart as a church, encouraging kids to, to jump in and get involved teenagers to jump in and get involved in, in serving when we go to we 've many times gone to l a as a youth ministry and, and gone down to Skid Row and, and helped uh, people down there and work with the Dream Center down there, and just simple projects to give them a better story, taking your kids on missions trips. There's opportunity, even as we've done Panama, where we've had individuals 17 years old go and be a part of that, to do something bigger than just simply exist. To think bigger than just simply the world right in front of them, and gaming, and binge watching, and phones, and and Facebook, and social media. Because we all know deep down how they're living with, with just that story in front of them is not good enough. There's a whole world out there. When your kids, and and I got to do this for years, when your kids get to see third world countries and do missions work and and vacation Bible schools with kids in third world countries where you're at a migrant farm and the joy of the kids that live in tin huts with no air conditioning and 10 by 10 with families of six or eight, and the joy for them is literally um, spinning a, a, a bent rusty bicycle wheel with a stick running around this little area that's called their playground and it's a dirt ground that they're chasing a little bike wheel around, that that's what they get. It's amazing when they come home and realize they don't need everything they have. They need a better story, not just more stuff. It's easy to drive over to Fred Meyer or Costco or whatever. And, and it's, it's easy to buy them a gift. It takes a lot more energy to give them a better story. Our kids need a better story. And that rings true in my ears because I'm living it today. Today with my kids, trying to help them understand a world bigger than their own. Let me take a few minutes, and yeah, time's running out. I'm on page one, two. I'm on page two of four, so. There was an an article I saw, and at the end, I'm going to give you some resources. Um, Sandra Stanley talked about this, and I thought this was huge. The stages of parenting, And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. So specifically parenting, um, I think it does apply in other contexts. But the first first year, zero to five, um, she says this way, is number one, the discipline years. Make them aware of consequences for their behavior. Heather said it this way as we were going over this message. She said, much of our parenting, this is Heather, not me, much of our parenting and our kids' patterns is done in those preschool years. We can't pay minimal attention to our children when they're young and then suddenly put on the brakes and rules when they get to be teens. We should have laid the groundwork early and be starting to let go, of, um, let go of the reins little by little as they get older. Spend time with your kids in all caps. Spend time with your kids. Also, we can't let kids get away with not listening when they're little and what makes us think they will magically change later. Be consistent. Be consistent. This is, this is parenting with love and logic. So number one, the discipline years. Another warning, again, sub-bullet underneath this if you're taking notes. Another warning, what gets rewarded gets repeated. Here's what I mean. If, if you think that little Johnny is out in your front yard peeing and he sees you laughing in the window because he's out in front peeing, if, if he's doing something naughty and, and he knows that you're laughing at it, he painted the bro- your brother with markers or he says a naughty word and you kind of snicker and laugh but then you say, you can't say that? you're you're they know intuitively you're rewarding what they're doing by laughing about it now kids do all kinds of zany things kids say words that they don't know when they're three and four and you go that's a bad word and they got it from dad not me anyway so but um but but they do all kinds of things that yes make us snicker inside as adults like oh my word but here's the deal let me just give you the simple answer to that you've got to hide however you're feeling because if you're rewarding bad behavior by laughing about it or, or making lighthearted you know, jokes about it, that's rewarding what they're doing, and what, gets rewar- what, what is rewarded gets repeated. It's a mantra you need to remember, especially when it comes to the kids that you influence. What gets rewarded gets repeated. The other danger is this, that when they do something bad, then they get our attention, and so even in psychology, I read this years ago, when, when uh, they, put, put, they begin to put together, when I do something bad, my parent finally stops whatever they're busy with and gives me their attention. Therefore, if I do something bad, I get their attention. It's psychology. It's that thing where if you don't give them the attention they need in an ongoing way, but then something bad happens and your whole world has to stop and you gotta figure that out, they put that together. And sometimes bad attention is better than no attention. Kids feel that. Kids know that. And I'm not just talking about little kids, even though I was mentioning the discipline years zero to five. So the solution is we've got to pay ongoing attention to them so they don't need to act out to get our attention. Okay. Um, Another verse you can write down, Ephesians 6, 4. This is an important one. I got a lot of content. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Have you ever read that before? And by the way, this isn't just for fathers, but because, because it tends to be that fathers maybe do the disciplining or fathers are maybe the heavy and, and not in every context, but, but that's the way it kind of looks. Exasperate means this, to provoke or irritate immensely. You go, well, what does that mean? Let me just say it this way. This is my own definition. Bringing correction that abuses or confuses. That's the way I put it. When we exasperate we're bringing discipline that that bring correction that abuses or confuses abuses means this we let our anger get the best of us and we 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 spank in anger and so we way overdo it we, we call them names or, or there's intimidation. We all know that, especially as dads, we're probably bigger in frame than our kids, of course, until they get a bit older and then they are. But anyway, that's another conversation. But, but bringing correction that abuses is one way that we exasperate. But another way is this. Listen, when we verbally correct without a way for the child to make right their wrong it's exasperating. It means they have no outlet to make right what they've done wrong. So they feel frustrated and confused and and conflicted, and there's no way to resolve it. Imagine if you went to God with whatever you did wrong, and and, and Lord, forgive me, and the, the voice of God said, I don't forgive you. What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? Spiritually, God never does that with us, and we should never do that with our children. Leave them in a place where they're absolutely stuck, unforgiven, without any way to resolve it. My wife went to Chick-fil-A the other day without me, but we're still married. Anyway, went to Chick-fil-A without me, and um, she was with Stella and Hudson and her mom. And and, and Hudson, they're sitting at the table, and there's a family behind them, and Hudson goes to open the ketchup, and it, it slips as it opens, and ketchup, Heather said ketchup went flying. But what happened was it hit the guy behind him in the top of the head. So here's this guy, got ketchup on his head, he's got his kids across from him, and he's livid. He's so mad, and Hudson immediately is like panicking, like, oh no. So Heather um, gets, gets some napkins and, and is trying to clean it up, and, and Hudson turns around and tries to apologize, and the guy won't give him the time of day, and the guy is angry. And the, the, the rest of the dinner, my son wouldn't eat and was so upset because what happened was he was exasperated. My son was exasperated by a man who wouldn't let him resolve what he did wrong. And again, we, we can all go, well, I mean, you know, what, but I'm thinking, what did he model for his own kids? And It made, made me feel bad for them. And, and Heather actually put it this way again as we're talking about this. Kids need to be able to make mistakes. Don't expect perfection or discipline or get angry with true mistakes. If a child spills milk, they need a towel, not a lecture. And again, it's that whole, well, great, yeah, okay, be more careful. But how many of us, when a child spills milk, we get all angry, and you got to do better and whatever. When was the last time you spilled milk? Was it when you were three or five or eight? Probably not. It was probably a year ago, six months ago, this morning. We've had coffee spilled at the coffee station, milk spilled at the coffee station over here by many adults in this room. And you don't need me to give you a lecture, right? Let's get a towel. Let's clean it up. It's fine. It happens. Anyway, this number two, the first one, like I said, the discipline years zero to five. Second one, the training years, five to 12. This is putting the why behind the what of rules and expectations. Let me say this. Um, there's, there's a book that we have, and we have resources every week. We're trying to do better at getting resources. A book called Parenting with Love and Logic, and it's been out for a while. Coles and I were talking about this, Parenting with Love and Logic. If you haven't read it uh, as a parent or, or even as somebody who's around kids, you know, kid care or, or even as a teacher or whatever, this is a great book. Um, it talks about the natural consequences of actions. One of the things it talks about is if you're if it's cold outside and, and your child is is four or older, let's say there-ish, um, and they don't want to wear a coat or bring a coat, you say, hey, bring a coat hey, it's cold outside, you need to bring a coat, but don't, don't bring it for them, force them to do it. If they don't bring it, then they're gonna be cold. You know what? They learn the consequences of being cold because they didn't bring their coat. Don't force it upon them. The same is true for older kids in homework. If they wait to the last second to do their homework and they're cramming, don't sit there and make it happen and do it for them and with them, and it's all gonna happen. Go, hey, if you're gonna procrastinate, these are the consequences. Do what you can do, and when you get to school and it's not done, then that's the consequence because you didn't plan like you're supposed to be planning. And again, that's a little bit older on the spectrum of years, but parenting with love and logic. Number three, the coaching years, 12 to 18. This becomes advice from the sidelines and is more about connecting than correcting, but it doesn't mean that you're your, you're your kid's buddy. Are we good with that? Have we got past this yet where we gotta be our kid's buddy? I'm your buddy, I'm your BFF, we're, we're, we're pals, okay? I love my kids, I, I adore being around my kids, I have fun with my kids, we joke around, have a great time together, but they know that I'm their dad long before I would ever be their friend. And even in the teen years where I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, so he's right there, he knows I'm the dad long before we're buddies. And we have a great time together, but I am the dad. Hint, kids need to spread their wings. Again, this goes back to actually the book Parenting with Love and Logic. Heather and I had read it a couple years ago. Um, You need to understand age-appropriate consequences. Let me say it this way. You don't let your 3-year-old ride a bike down a steep hill. But you might let your 10-year-old, right? Okay? Okay, you also don't give a three-year-old your keys to the car, but you might let your 16-year-old with a license have the keys to the car. For the bike on the hill, 10 or 12 is good. A three-year-old gets a trike or small bicycle on mostly a flat surface. Why? Because at three years old, a trike on a flat surface, they can get hurt, but not so bad that it'll kill them. This is the idea, and again, this is one, a way to put it, this is the idea of there's got to be age-appropriate consequences for, for steps they're taking as they get older. Does that make sense? But we've got to let them spread their wings. We, we, can't, we can't be the helicopter parent that even at 10 years old, you're not riding down that hill. Hey, there's a point where you got to let them. But as a parent, we got to have that gauge, age-appropriate consequences. They've got the helmet on. Sometimes you've got the knee pads and elbow pads. You're going to go down the hill. If you wreck it's going to hurt. It's going to be a bummer, but... I want to let you spread your I want to let you take a risk, fly a little bit. I never wore a helmet, but it shows, so anyway. (laughs) The fourth thing is the friendship years, and those are the adult years, and it does become, it's not that, that you're never the parent. We're always the parent, but if we've laid the groundwork early on, and we've done the right things over the years to help kids spread their wings. It should be that when your kids get to that 18 plus and they're adults, that you can enjoy more of a friendship with your kids. Yes, there's still things that happen. Yes, there's still crisis that goes on. There's not a family that's free from moments that are overwhelming, that's true. But if we've done it right, we get to enjoy each other's company as we process life together rather than demand on them as the parent what they have to do. Final two things, and I'm way over on time. Okay, don't show favoritism. Remember Joseph in the Bible, Genesis? Story of Joseph, yeah. Favoritism got him exiled. Anyway, um, and then the fourth thing is this. As parents, find ways to be alone. Heather and I have a no kids allowed time where we need to talk about some things, where, where we need to discuss some things important. We feel the need to fill our own tanks because we're on empty, or we just need sex. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, so the, the, the final thing is this. I want to give you a couple resources, and then I'm done we talked about a couple weeks ago how marriage right now has a 50% survival rate on average in in church and outside church 50% I mentioned we would do anything if we knew our kids had a 50-50 chance of living leaving this building what do I do to keep them safer what do I do to protect them so that doesn't happen in the same way marriages and families kind of in crisis we should be doing whatever it takes to increase the chances of our kids becoming who God created them to be so I'm going to end with this resources um Focus on the Family is a great website, and if you're not aware of it, you, you can check it out. Again, Focus on the Family, um, it's a great one. Family Life Today is another one, similar, different resources, but very similar, what they offer, some books, if you're writing this down. If we don't have this on a list, Andrew, we need to get that, I thought we did, I'm sorry. Um, anyway. <laughs> what? Is that the list? Oh, heads are gonna roll. Who can read that? Anyone in here? Anyone in the balcony like, what? It's like a blur. Yeah, congratulations, you people up front. All right, by the way, these are the A seats. B, C, D, you guys up there, we need to talk. I want to see you in my office after class. Okay. Um, anyway, focus on the family, family life today. We're getting back. Yeah, come on. Everybody give Andrew a hand back there. Great job, dude. Good job. Okay. Okay. Um, These are some. These are from me personally. There's a ton out there, by the way. But here's some that we've. My wife and I have read. We've talked about bringing up boys is another one. Um, wild at Heart for Guys and Captivating for Gals, especially teenagers and young adults. Um, wild at Heart and Captivating for Gals, Wild well, at for guys. Um, Generation IY is a great book. That's one I actually gave to Andrew years ago, a few years ago, talked about. Choosing to Cheat is a really good one. It's a short book by Andy Stanley, but, but it just talks about how like, you know, a lot of people can do your job, but only you can be the spouse to your spouse or, or the, the, the parent, the dad, or your kids, or your mom or your kids. Um, uh, Parenting with Love and Logic. This is one that's available in the lobby today. And we're trying every week to provide a resource. I decided on this one because this is probably my favorite book on parenting so far. And um, there's, I think, there's 30 copies out there. There was no soft cover, so unfortunately, hardcover is a little more expensive. I think we got it for 18. And so, if you want that, it is available back there. It's 18 bucks. We're not, you know, mark it up. Um, 12 huge mistakes parents can avoid. That's a really good book. Dare to Discipline, The Strong-Willed Child, and then Ryan mentioned last week, The Five Love Languages um, is a great book that that is not just about marriage and love, but about what your kids' love languages are and understanding how they're wired and stuff like that. But anyway, um, in the communication card, and somebody's going to come up in transition here in a second, um, I do love that the takeaway today, there's committing to Christ, which is huge, but I will be more intentional about how I influence the kids around me whether you're a grandparent you're an aunt you're an uncle you're a teacher you're a parent you're a single mom or single dad I will be more intentional about how I influence the kids around me and I encourage you to check that off and what we want to do is we collect all those cards every week we're going to pray over those but if you check that box we're going to pray about that specifically because we all need to be more intentional God today that's a lot and uh, kind of like a fire hose, I guess. And, uh, and I pray that, Lord, your spirit would work in all of us. God, to understand that every one of us, in one way or another, whether it's helping at Grove Kids or Remedy Youth, whether it's being a teacher or, or, a, or a parent in a neighborhood or an apartment complex or whatever, God, whether it's being the parent or being the aunt or uncle, being the grandparent, that there's a lot of content, I think, here that can help all of us realize that we have opportunity to influence kids from birth all the way up to 18 and beyond. Lord, help us to do well with it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.